0: We're going to start today's session with a conversation with Kelly Perdue, co-founder and managing general partner at Moonshot Capital. Kelly, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, and it's incredibly admirable what you're doing and the reach that you've had so far.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So, Kelly, uh, the point of this conversation today is to introduce you to our audience and uh, get to know one another. So let's start by um, having you share a little bit about your background as well as the background of your fund. What is the investing focus? How big is the fund? What kinds of investments are you making? Let's just get to know one another.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm a relatively newbie as a venture capitalist. Um, I came up being an entrepreneur. I've been a, uh, a, either a co-founder or a part of the senior team of 10 different uh, companies that we started. Two of them are learning experiences. I make the air quotation marks there, which are very valuable, but you want to avoid those if you can. Um, Five exits and three still operating profitably. Um, I do consider myself an entrepreneur, and along the way, I started making angel investments, um, and then a partner, that my partner in the fund now, we started angel investing together. Then we started leading angel syndicates, We would invest our money and tell other angels about it and they would invest with us and we would get paid to carry. And then last October, we did a first close our $40 million uh, Moonshots Capital Fund. And we've made investments in 65 companies over the years uh, and have a pretty spectacular track record. And we we think we're pretty good at picking the companies, but we're even better at helping them after we put the money in uh, to help make them successful. And our thesis is focused almost entirely around leadership. Uh, my partner and I both graduated from West Point, served in the military, and it's the only place we know where millions of dollars is spent training people specifically on leadership. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, if you look at the, the, the success record of the 65 companies we've invested in and all the other DCs that we sit on boards with as we talk about the successes and the fail, and the flame outs, the failures, um, the key ingredient is leadership. and so, Moonshot's Capital leans in heavily when there's a military veteran uh, on the founding team. And that military, that could be any military, it's not just U.S. military, but we think it's a, a fundamental training and leadership. We also like, um, as I think a lot of investors do, uh, founders who have had previous successes in building companies. That's kind of the battle scars of experience.
0: Now, what about these 65 companies that you've invested in? Uh, how, what percentage of those have a military veteran in their founding team?
1: Sure. We have um, just under 15,000,000 um, assets under management that's been deployed, right? And about 70% of that uh, has been invested in teams that have a military veteran as one of those you know, co-founders.
0: Very interesting. And what is the typical check size of what you invest in?
1: Sure, from the fund, uh, we're late seed, early A, so that can mean a lot of things in different different parts of the world and or, uh, you know, different, you know, over the last three to four years, things have gotten a lot more elastic in terms of what that means. But our check sizes are typically 500 to $800,000 in the seed okay. piece. We're, we're frequently the first institutional investor. We're not the first investor. The companies have started generating revenue, um, you know, approaching – Fifty to one hundred thousand dollars a month in recurring revenue, um, typically, uh, and we're we're looking to get anywhere from ten to fifteen percent ownership in that seed round. Um, of the forty million, seventeen million is dedicated to first checks in, and twenty-three million is reserved uh, as dry powder to, uh, you know, reinvest and to, uh, continue to invest in subsequent rounds in the companies we invest in.
0: And what? Um... What is the um, definition, in your case, of late seeds, early series A? What metrics are you looking for?
1: Sure. So, you know, typically there's still pieces of the team that need the A players inserted. Um, There's a minimum viable product, as I described, in terms of they've, you know, found a problem that they've either they've built a solution, whether it's a product or a service for, and have started selling that to more than one client. Um, they've raised some money, usually it's in the two hundred to five hundred thousand dollar range previously that helped them get to that point. frequently, that's friends and family and credit cards and maybe one or two angel you know you know external angels or sophisticated angels or maybe it's an incubator and interestingly enough, a lot of our deal flow comes from the ecosystem itself, so Techstars, Y Combinator, 500 Startups, they're already curating lots and lots of entries to select the companies that they think could be the most viable, the most exciting. Um, Mm -hmm. And because because we focus and lean in heavily when there's a military veteran.
0: I think your audio went off. Kelly, I think your call dropped. You got it. Yeah, you're back. Great. Excellent. Go ahead.
1: Don't know what happened. I lost you there. So um, from the criteria in terms of looking at wh- where we want to invest, it's, you know, they have some revenue traction. There are clients that are repeat customers. Um, there's most of a management team that's put together, and they still are looking at growing and building that. Um, and they think they found a place in the market, uh, and there's more money required to explore that further. And we'd like to invest. Um, where there are very distinct milestones we can see and help them achieve on the way to the next round of financing. So that's, that's kind of how we're looking at that, that late seed uh, investment.
0: What about sector? What is your uh, comfort zone? What is your interest area in terms of sector?
1: Sure. As you might imagine, um, not every military veteran or great leader comes out and goes into the exact same sector. Um, My partner and I do have some domain knowledge. Um, I've helped my wife, who is building her fifth company, I've helped her build this fifth company, um, direct-to-consumer advertising and media agencies. So she's previously sold four of them, three to Interpublic Group, one to MDC, and then she uh, leading and me assisting kind of back office, ops finance, HR, everything else, have helped build up the existing company to about 50 head count and growing pretty Pretty dramatically. So, anything that has to do with ad tech stack, direct to consumer, what kind of newbies call, what I call, you know, people under 30 call uh, growth hacking. We just kind of call that's that's actually marketing. Um, so, uh, and anything that would help or benefit from that, I've got a pretty deep domain expertise. Um, and then my partner Craig Cummings, also a West Point grad, the last company that he built and sold to Daimler Mercedes. It was called Ride Scout, and then when they bought Ride Scout, he moved on to Daimler Mercedes M&A team focused on the U.S. So he was evaluating and analyzing, you know, potential acquisitions and/or investments in the mobility, transportation, automotive, um, and mm-hmm. that kind of space. So definitely in those two categories we have a lot of expertise, but we also get a lot of uh, cyber. So uh, both of us were military intelligence. Craig, my partner, has a lot of connectivity into and around NSA. And two of our first three companies that we invested in out of the fund um, have, have a cyber focus to them in terms of cybersecurity.
0: Mm-hmm. And what about geography?
1: Uh, we're geographically agnostic. I realize you have a worldwide audience. Um, we've only invested in the United States, um, so no specification in the U.S., um, but we're certainly not averse to looking at things from wherever it makes sense. Uh, obviously, and you're both
0: based in Los Angeles, yeah?
1: I'm based in Los Angeles, and my partner Craig is based in Austin, Texas. Um, okay. We have a you know, a pretty good scattergram of, you know, geographically. We've invested, like, all, all over the U.S. In fact, our biggest check went to a company in uh, Columbus, Ohio. So we really are agnostic.
0: So let's uh, do a couple of things next. I'd like to understand what – are you really proud of in your portfolio? What's really scaling? What's looking really interesting? And, and, and as you explain to us some of these uh, case studies, if you will, give us some insights into your thinking or Craig's thinking in making the decision to invest in these companies. Besides the founder being a military veteran, what, what else have you factored into that thought process?
1: Absolutely. So I think a great example is uh, our second investment out of the fund in late January of this year is a company called New Knowledge. And you might have heard – you might not have heard their company name, but I'm pretty sure you've heard of them. They're uh, former Army NSA uh, founders, and they are the team that identified um, Russian involvement in social media Using bots as it effect, as it impacted or affected the elections in the United States uh, and wow. continue to yeah it's it's a it's a it's a pretty phenomenal team um, they've got very sophisticated uh, monitoring and listening capability as well as um, interdiction capability inside of social media environments and the the founding CEO um, was working with the State Department previously, and the founding COO was the former Army and NSA uh, leader. Uh, they're just very compelling individuals in terms of creating a vision, being able to communicate that very effectively. And then the thing that I say to all of our entrepreneurs is sales kind of cures everything. <laughs> and um, they happen to be at a specific point in time where, you know, fake news, um, people not trusting what's going on uh, and the the things that they're reading in their feeds, whether it's in the Twitter or Facebook or whatever uh, platform you happen to be, you know, visiting. Um, Being able to know and understand what's legitimate and what's not, what's a bot or what's a human uh, is incredibly important. is only going to become more so so that this kind of dystopian society that we're living in can get some grounding to it. Um, So it it has a great cause feel to it. What
0: is the business? Uh, Is it a a software-as-a-service analytics business?
1: Yeah, it's a a software-as-a-service business. So think about any large uh, company and or government department that wants to monitor and understand uh, what's being said about them and if there are activities associated with them uh, in the social media environment. So pick a large entertainment company that has what could be considered a controversial movie coming out. The last thing they want is to, on the day before the movie launches, that they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on to be completely mm-hmm. blindsided by a group that either validly or not, uh, either with actual humans or bots, is creating a pretty negative campaign that launches the day before you know a movie opens they'll pay, a, you know, a significant amount of money to be aware of that happening and then potentially to um, take action uh, to protect themselves. And that, that applies across multiple industries. If you look at people who are making decisions in the financial markets, um, large oil and gas entities where public opinion can, be, you know, have billions of dollars of impact on their ability to uh, do exploration and R&D and that type of stuff, there, there are – and then there are obvious applications for government entities. Um, knowing whether or not there are, you know, potential you know, bad actors at work preparing to do something bad.
0: So in a situation like this, um, you know, we've had a lot of software as a service investors here. Um, there are some trends we are observing, and I'd like to get your take on that. So the ones who are doing Series A are looking for a million-dollar ARR before they're willing to write a check. Um, you know there are some post seed, pre Series A people who have their own metrics. Do you have when you're doing when you're looking at SaaS deals? As you said, revenue is the problem is the solution yeah. to all problems. So what is that yeah. revenue um, benchmark? Huh? What?
1: I said, do you agree? Do you agree that sales solves just about every problem?
0: I totally agree, absolutely, and that's what <laughs> we right. constantly harp on here. So, uh, yes, and, in fact, I much prefer, actually, companies that uh, generate revenue. Our, our definition of entrepreneurship is customers' revenues and profits. Financing is optional. So I'd rather people don't get flushed with financing and, and forget how to be, you know, disciplined about revenue. So, so I more than agree. But, uh, but what, is your, uh, what is the metric that you look for as clear validation
1: that you so, are so ready? We, yeah, so we, we publish that we like to see companies that have fifty dollars to $100,000 of monthly recurring revenue, and, you know, which, which translates into six hundred to at $1.2 million in annual in annual recurring revenue. And the companies that we've invested in have been at $1 million in growing of annual recurring revenue. Um, mm-hmm. Not all of them, but, you know, that's, that's the rule. There are exceptions to every rule. Um, when there 's a multi time successful entrepreneur, it uh, depends what it is but so you know we we want to see that and now what gets interesting though is we have to do a whole lot with the financials typically because your definition of recurring revenue and my definition of recurring revenue need to, m- might differ I, just, I i We just like to be on the same page with the definition of exactly what that is and when you 're talking about you know clients that are small and medium sized businesses um, you know, recurring revenue for them might they they may only spend money every quarter. And it also depends on what vertical they're in. So being able to separate that and understand that and really understand churn, really stand, understand the ability to do upsell, whether that's growing the number of seats or adding more features inside of that environment are, are super important. New knowledge, the one that I just described to you though, is you know, in the we don't we don't know what the kind of the upper limit on the on the the pricing is, but you know thirty to fifty thousand dollars a month uh is not is not out of the question on a lot of these on a lot of these deals for that capability so okay. that's a little different than when you think about you know six to ten dollars a seat you know you know per seat in a in a in a true you know slack a la slack uh type of saAS model
0: yeah now, uh, w- let's do another, maybe from a different sector um, that you've invested in, maybe a B two C or something.
1: Um, so, there's one that's uh, B two C that's called Fair, F A I R, and the founder of that company is a gentleman named Scott Painter. He also happens to be um, a, a military veteran, um, and I he's a, it's the second time that I that I've invested in him. He he also founded TrueCar. Uh, which he took from ideation all the way through to public – to IPO in the United States. So in this instance, <clears throat> the conversation about what our decision to invest was very short. You know, Scott called me and said, um, hey, I'm doing a $4, mil- four million investment on 12 free, um, and I'm putting $2 million myself in. Do you want any, Kelly? And I, w- <laughs> I said, can I have the rest? Right, this is a guy who started bunches of, you know, lot, you know, dozens of companies, been very successful, most recently took, and he's very, very focused on the automotive space, and recently took a company to IPO to multibillion dollars. And when they offered the opportunity to invest, you try to get in. So that's when we were running the syndicate. And so I still needed some, something to tell the people that might follow us. And I asked Scott, knowing that what the answer probably was, I said, do you have any materials that I could share as we, you know, put the money in? Uh, and he sent me a, a screen grab of the logo. Um, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to sell this on your track record. So we, We've invested in every round, um, and his valuation has increased dramatically to the point where he's now raising hundreds of millions. This is over a three-year period. Um, he's raising hundreds of millions on the equity side through, you know, very, very large entities that you see playing in all these unicorns right now. Um, and we were in, you know, the friends and family, the seed, the seed one, the A, and will probably participate in the note that goes to a Series B. Um, he's just a multi-time successful entrepreneur who's a domain, a domain expert in the, in the area that he's playing. He's radically disruptive, and the product basically enables you, as a consumer, on your phone to connect to your bank account, uh, connect to the car that you like and, you know, fare what you want to get and lease that car, walk in, sign on your phone and drive the car off the lot for an indeterminate lease, meaning you can bring it back tomorrow or you can bring it back in, a, in two years. And it's a single payment for all of those items, for insurance, for uh, the, the car payment, any aftermarket things that you want to do to it. And he's looking almost at, you know, transportation as a service, if you will.
0: Interesting. So he's a real, real expert in the car industry, or car rental, car leaving, that, car buying industry.
1: Yeah. Yes. True, true Car was radically disruptive. It basically enabled a consumer to look and see the car they wanted to purchase in their you know, zip code and surrounding area, how much did one of those cars sell for yesterday, which was kind of the ultimate power When you're going, nobody really likes going to negotiate with a car salesperson about how much the car is and trying to figure out the APR and all the other components. And he just eliminated that concern, which was very, very disruptive to a a protected dealership run industry. Um, And he fought a lot of legal battles along the way on that, but ended up getting the company public at billions of dollars.
0: So um, let me do a thought experiment with you on this one if this particular concept came to you from a domain expert, somebody who understands that industry very well, but it wasn't Scott and it wasn't somebody who had track record of building a company with you and, and so on and so forth. So, but maybe he or she was a military veteran, would you still invest?
1: So there there are a lot of factors in making that determination, but certainly just because, it, you know, there are way more people that I don't know than there are that I do know. Um, so we're we're not anticipating that even half of our investments are into people that we've already met. Um, we're seeing literally hundreds of deals a month and using the some of the criteria and some more that I described to get to the point where we get the meeting, get to the point where we do follow-up meetings, uh, get a comfort level and an ability to understand that that entrepreneur Isn't gonna do what we tell them. That's not the that's not the intent. That isn't by by any stretch of the imagination. More that they're open to hearing what we're saying so that we can help them avoid a lot of the company building pitfalls that Craig and I uh, have gone through and the holes we've fallen in and the walls we've run into. And if it's if it's apparent that there's there's some coachability and learning and listening to what we're doing, it's we're much more likely to invest in for somebody who knows everything that they're you know, thinks they know everything that they're doing. That makes sense.
0: You know, uh, our audience does have some uh, serial entrepreneurs, but the vast majority of our audience is first-time entrepreneurs, and they're, um, you know, usually when you need money to start a company as a first-time entrepreneur, it's a problem. So, uh, so there's all sorts of things that you have to do to. To be creative about bootstrapping to levels of success and metrics and and revenue, so that uh, you know some of the first-time entrepreneur issues get taken out of the conversation. So, uh, which is why I'm asking you all these questions about uh, what, how would you react if you were doing in a doing working with a first-time entrepreneur. So switching gears, though. So, yeah. So, you, so yeah, go on. So Craig,
1: Craig, yeah, Craig and I. Um, 14 companies that we've been operators in. Um, we actually we believe that the value we add to the investment. Of course, the money is super important and you need it to build. But more important than domain knowledge, we kind we we want the team to have the domain knowledge that we're investing in. If we can help with our networks, which are pretty pretty broad, we w- right. we will do so obviously, and that's that's another consideration. But where we Craig and I add the most value is the empathy and experience of being a founder and the company building elements, right? So those first-time entrepreneurs, oh, I just got a fight with my co-founder or I need to part ways with my co-founder. Okay, does the company blow up or not? Uh, How do I hire my first salesperson? We're big enough now that I I can't be doing all the sales if we're going to scale. So how do I hire my first salesperson? I mean, the list of those questions that first-time entrepreneurs have is endless. And, with Craig and I being able to apply our experiences not only not only as an investor where you hear about them and you see them and you're kind of tangentially involved, but as an operator where you're, you know, in the shower in the morning sweating out, am I going to make payroll next month? Those are things that you can't get and understand and really feel unless you're actually, you've actually been an entrepreneur before. And I think that, that company building set of skills is where Craig and I add a lot of value to the entrepreneurs we invest in.
0: So last question, I know you have to run at 8.30. You said you're seeing hundreds of deals a month. What trends are you seeing in your deal flow, and what of those trends are interesting to you?
1: So we're seeing much uh, more developed companies, right? So three or four years ago, um, we would see, I'd say, you know, two-thirds of our deals – would be, I don't want to say ideation, but, you know, the MVP is almost done. There's going to be a market tech test next quarter when we launch. Um, now I'd say that's dropped to less than a third. Um, people are figuring out, and there are, there are many, many, many ways to get that early, early financing. Um, yeah. And so it's almost, you know, the bar has risen to the point where there has to be a really good reason for them not already being in revenue for us to go past that first stage right like for instance, you're, you're, if you're Scott painter and it just you know or you're just starting with your new idea and you're you know in two years going to be at a billion dollar valuation then we know that that's p- p- probable because you're a sophisticated entrepreneur. that's where we'll ignore the fact that you don't have revenue yet. But the, because there it, especially with software, it's so relative to how it was in the past inexpensive to get a minimum viable product up. Distribution is less expensive so that you can get enough users in to test and understand what works and what doesn't. Um, you really need to get to a point of into revenue, into a minimum viable product that's working with some, some monies raised from, from a whole bunch of different sources that are, that are available to you in order to register as a serious player that's going to be successful to an institutional VC.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting and uh, by the way this is what we teach in our program is do not go to vcs as beggars go as kings so and that absolutely requires that you build up to a certain revenue level certain metric level with which you can have a have a you know conversation that is a real negotiation as opposed to begging for money and i, I really can't move further without your money, yeah. and that's a, that conversation is not a healthy conversation. So we discourage those kinds of conversations. The, tra- the train
1: is moving out. It's a great train. Do you want to be on it or not? It's a much better
0: approach. Much better than, conversation. I don't you have, have any money. I need money. Yeah, so. yeah. All right, well, that's Kelly, totally thank great. you for sharing your perspective. Thanks for coming, and uh, great to meet you. And uh, hopefully we'll find uh, stuff to work with together.
1: Awesome.